0: It is locked on jazz for the 19th of January. Oh my goodness, this is nuts! We're gonna talk about it. Craziness. Jordan Clarkson Appreciation, Lowry Market in Love, Late Game Watch Cleveland. What the were you doing? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast in the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so very much for making Locked On Jazz your first Listen of the day. We are also, if you're not already there, available on YouTube. You can join the community, chat with them. Please subscribe wherever you do listen. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell. It gives us the little note, gets you the notification uh, that the show is coming. This is insanity. We're 46 games into the NBA season. Your Utah Jazz who's over-under for this season was, I think, 24.5, right? Like, I think NBA Vegas over-under. We're 48 games in the season, not 46. Some other people are 46. We're 24 and 24. We're 500. We're tied with the Warriors for sixth right now in the Western Conference. And we're getting better. No one in their wildest, craziest, outlandish dreams ever thought this was the case. And maybe you've gotten used to it during the season and now expect it, but this is nuts. Like, Will Hardy talks a lot about putting everything in perspective. Let's put this in perspective. It's January 19th. If we beat the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow, the Jazz exceed the Vegas over-under for the season. We're 500. And maybe the most important thing I'm saying, we're getting better. Maybe a lot better. Like, you start to look at some of the numbers that we've been dancing around with in regards to playing combinations and who's on the floor and you eye test the people who are not playing well and productive and some of our over under numbers are certainly a little funky there's no question of that but some of our other numbers well can you start putting Lowry Markin and and Mike Conley and Walker Kessler on the floor together in a three-man lineup for the Utah Jazz like it's not funky it's just super good And you add Jordan Clarkson and it's super good. And then you start playing with the bench units and the rightful order of the basketball universe is kind of falling into place right now. A lot of this is because of Walker. Like Walker has changed his ability to play center and allow everybody else to kind of do what they do and get us to be a half-decent defensive team is a game-changer. An absolute game changer. We saw a team last night, certainly limited, short on what they're doing, just not go to the rim. In the last five games, again, some of the teams we've played, a little short-handed, things like that, got it. We're the 12th best defensive team in the NBA. In the last 10 games, we're 22nd in the league defensively. Okay, we need, like, that's not great, but it's not 27th. And frankly, there is a moment in this where you start to like get into like one or two points is separating everyone. Like the difference between being fifth and 22nd be, or whatever it was, you know, last five games where we four and one, being fifth, being 12th and being 22nd is getting to be a pretty slim margin between the two. It's about four points. We're, doing, we're, we're getting better. Lowry is ridiculous and getting better. Walker Kessler is no, is just absolutely game-changing to who the Jazz are. He, he's one, he's really good. He's figuring it out defensively. He's really skilled offensively. And he allows Jared Vanderbilt to go play off the bench where Jared Vanderbilt's really good. He allows Lowry marketing to float between the three and four whether we want to have Malik Beasley on the floor or whether we want to have... Uh, Kelly Olenek back on the floor when it's time. He allows Colin Sexton, like Colin Sexton's coming off the bench and has been just great. Ochai Abaji is added an element to this team and his development were better than we used to be because of Ochai Abaji. Some of these numbers are, again, the sample sizes are super small right now. But our starting lineup last night of Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Lowry, Markin, and Walker Kessler in 92 possessions is plus 31. Okay, these sample sizes get small. Two guys hit back-to-back threes, things go a little funky there, and you can you can start to lose your bearings on it. But when Walker Kessler, Mike Conley, and Lowry Markin are on the floor together, in again not very much 353 possessions, we're plus 20. With an offense in the 99th percentile and a defense in the 98th percentile, like that's real. Well, it's small samples. Put Jordan Clarkson in there; sample size gets smaller. Same thing though. Plus 21. You start to put together like playing guy lineups that actually make sense. So it's Conley, Clarkson, Beasley, Market, and Kessler. Okay, well then put in, you know, put in Kelly Olynyk in that lineup with Clarkson, Conley. Markin and Kelly Olenek and Kessler, so you're starting Olenek instead of Beasley. It's 55 possessions. We're plus 42. You bring Colin Sexton in off the bench off instead of Malik Beasley for your first substitution, it's been a very, very small sample size. We're plus 41. Like these numbers are super small, but they all indicate we're getting better. Conley is figuring out how to play at 35 years old within his limitations and has been I think remarkable you know this team has gone now Mike Conley's gone and when Mike Conley came back and wasn't very good we weren't very good and when Mike Conley wasn't around we weren't very good Mike Conley's kind of figured this thing out a little bit he hit some shots recently his legs got to be feeling a little bit better we have an easier travel schedule. The dude has not turned the ball over since January 10th. He's played nine, little less than 90 minutes of basketball without a turnover. It's crazy. His last turnover, I was trying to find it today, was against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the third quarter. Donovan's return. The team understands who they are better. They understand Lowry's the guy. You know, we've had all these stretches at different times in the year where we're like, how's Lowry not getting the ball? Well, the team's figured that out. They go, Lowry's the best player on the floor. It took Lowry a little time to figure out he was the best player on the floor. That's an interesting concept. I talked to Ty Lue about this a little bit last night. We always talk about these guys as though when they come into the league that they have to figure out like how to play when they're now on the floor with other best players, right? That basically every single one of these guys was the best player on their team for their entire lives. And now all of a sudden they're on this team and there's five other, six other, seven, eight other guys who are the, were the best players. And now you figure out. Lowry actually went the opposite way. Lowry had to figure out how to be the best player again on this team. He linked it with the Finnish national team and now he's understanding completely who he is as the best player on this team. He's making plays that are, I mean, the slam dunk over Zubak last night is ridiculous. The follow three is ridiculous. The three in the corner where we were talking about pop time where he catches the ball up at his forehead and lets it fly is like, I I don't know how he does that. Like, it's for seven feet tall to catch that with that release time. We got a great question during the broadcast from a guy who was like, what about Kyle Korver? Like, whose pop time is faster? And Ron Boone said on that shot, Lowry Markin's pop time is faster. Has everybody like noticed what Lowry Markin is doing his last 13 games? He's going 50, 40, 90 while averaging 31 points a game, 50% from the field, 42% from three and 92% from the free throw line while averaging 30 points and 10 rebounds. That's crazy. That's for 30% of the season. We've played 48 games. That's 13 games. So we're getting better. And when Kelly Olinick comes back, we might have 240 quality minutes. Now, the trade deadline can undo all of this, obviously. But when Kelly Olinick comes back, with Abaji playing 21 good minutes a night, like if you look at last night's minute distribution, and it's a little short because it was a blowout, but like Kelly Olinick comes back and takes Rudy Gates 13 minutes and probably take some of Ando's minutes. Abaji holds at 21, or probably Baji plays 24, Sexton plays 25. The other guy's minutes probably hold. Like, we suddenly have 240 minutes a night of quality rotation minutes. Like, this is crazy. Don't lose sight. Don't lose, like, we're about to play, we're going to cross over our Vegas over-under win number by the 50th game of the season. that's it's, it's absolutely insanity and it should be loved every second. One of the guys I didn't even mention in here is Jordan Clarkson and what he's doing and I don't want it to get lost. We did our Mike Conley appreciation yesterday. We're doing our Jordan Clarkson appreciation next. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at uh intercap lending that's my good friend steve carter and all he brings to the table intercap is uh our own personal loan lending officers uh steve carter is our own personal loan officer excuse me i'm about to choke on something and does amazing work for us the they actually have a really neat program they're doing right now which is called free and the concept is though mortgage rates did just finally drop a little bit by the way uh, here's the concept form. The program has been nicknamed FreeFi. It's a program where anyone that buys a house using intercap lending from now until March of this year will have the ability when interest rates dip down to take advantage of refi and will waive all lending fees for the refi. So what that means is they will cover all processing and underwriting costs. Do They do want me to make sure you know that uh, you still have escrow taxes and insurance and title fees will be part of the refi, but there'll no longer be any lender fees. So they really want to do it. So if you're on the fence right now of buying with rates being a little higher than you've been used to and you know refi down the road is the answer. Well, refi will be free until March of 2025. So that gives you two years to refi with us in advance of this program. Steve Carter's our own personal loan officer. He's just remarkable. Um, I could not recommend him strongly enough because he's just been a pleasure to deal with. So feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com and I'll just set you up or if you'd like to You can contact Steve directly yourself and not involve me. 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com and make sure you tell Steve Carter you were locked on Jazz because that gets you your Intercap Lending discount. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, the delicious treat with... Where you don't want all the fat and calories, and you get a built bar out of it, just like this one sitting right here. Here, what do I have here today? I have a cookie dough built bar sitting right here, waiting for me. It's—I don't even think it's a puff. I just think it's a regular one. And they are so good. 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And you know you can go to built.com with the promo code locked on to get your 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. But now. You can also go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four box cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. Or you can choose to go to Sam's Club for a 13 bar box with hit flavors, brownie, batter, and churro. It's all Built Bar and promo code locked on if you do it at built.com. Thanks so very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps. Your second listen should be Locked on Sports Today, our 22-minute recap of all things sports, so that you can catch up with everything that's going on, get ready for the playoff weekend, all the rest, when you might have a job or things are getting away. Tyler Gibb does stats for us. Uh, we have a great crew. Um, uh, Will and Kristen and Dominic and Leaf all do great work for us. Tyler Gibb had a note in his stats pack yesterday that jumped out to me about Jordan. So first of all, like when Lowry was out, Jordan was just incredible and efficient and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, And then he had a note that just kind of blew me away. And that was that Jordan is shooting 50% or better from the field. This was going into last night. In eight of his last 11 games, Jordan Clarkson, Jordan, the gunner, Clarkson, I, Jordan's, some people are, as Luke Walton once said, some people are open when they get off the bus. Jordan thinks he's hot when he gets off the bus. This is one of the players who is not efficient at all. And all of a sudden has linked efficiency, 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 efficiency. Last night, he did not accomplish it. He went five, 11, two, five, three. Jordan Clarkson's last 12 games, he's shooting 50% from the field. While diming out four assists and scoring 23 points a game. He's only shooting 34% from three, but that's kind of what he does. This guy has been so, so good this year. Eight assists against Chicago. Nine assists against Sacramento. Six assists against Detroit. Jordan Clarkson? Nine dimes against Golden State. Nine times against Chicago. Ten times against Golden State. That's reading opponents, understanding how they defend you, what you do, and you suddenly see the same teams come up. He's torched the Clippers three times this year. A little calmer last night, didn't need him. It's really incredible to see the evolution of this guy's game this year. And it's a tribute to Jordan and how much he's evolved. His two-point shooting... The two things that are interesting to me about it, if you actually kind of go look at how he's playing and what he's doing, there aren't dramatic differences, like statistically, and yet your eye test knows he's playing a totally different game. So the biggest number that's different is, you know, he started every he started 47 games. And the last time he started regularly was 15, 16, his second year in the league. So that's a big adjustment. The second one is he's playing five minutes more a night, which is a lot. He's playing about 10 minutes more a night than he did in Cleveland. Okay, well, that's... And he's not a turnstile defensively right now. Like, that's a pretty incredible thing for him to have done that, play that many more minutes, and still be putting out on a defensive level. He's actually shooting a little bit fewer three-point shots percentage-wise of shot attempts that he was before. He was shooting 54% of his shots, his threes. He's down to 46%. And yet, his, efficient, his free throw rate is through the roof. Now, some of that's three-point shooting he's getting fouled, and that's why his three-point rate is down, which is interesting. Usually, it's the other way around, that your rim rate or something else is down. But his free throw rate is way up. His assist rate is from 14% of... So percentage of teammate field goals, a player assists while they're on the floor. He was at 14%. He's now at 21. Turnover rates up a little bit. His usage rate is actually up from last year. And yet it feels completely differently. Only a tad. And that's maybe to me what's most impressive about Jordan right now. Is that all of these things I just said just feel and look differently than the way he's playing. Like, the idea that his usage rate is up, the idea that he's actually shooting close to the same percentage, the idea that he's, you know, other than assists, nothing's dramatically different, and yet his game feels tremendously different. His turnovers are actually up a little bit, I think. Like, way up. Like, it's... But he's just playing... Better team basketball, better understanding of who he is. His shot distribution is not wildly different, other than, frankly, he's taking a few more shots from 10 to 16 feet than he's taking his threes, probably, again, because he can foul him. He's field goal, percentage of field goals assisted, so is like he playing off his teammates better? No, last year was 22.1, this year it's 22. His threes are a little more assisted. It's, but statistic you can feel it. And then it, these over 50% is something really different. Uh, we mentioned a moment ago, I did want to go to, and we'll do late game in a second. Cleveland had just maybe one of the worst late games I've ever seen uh, to lose to Memphis last night. Um, and I love J.B. Bickerstaff, but holy smokes, that was bad. It happens, right? Late game's hard. Um, the lowry marketing. Quick release three right side. lowry marketing dunk on the open court on Zubak. Or actually, it was a half-court set. lowry marketing three on the next possession. That skill set is astronomical. Absolutely astronomical. Um, we'll do Ask LOJ tomorrow. And there'll be some good questions on that. Because... There just are not a lot of guys in the world who can do that. Anthony Davis is probably one of them. And then, Kevin Durant, probably another, but he's just so much smaller. I mean, weight-wise, but he can probably, okay, so let's go. Let's give it, I mean, he's the greatest offensive player probably ever to play the game. Unless Jokic just become that. Um, And then we're done. Uh, Lowry is still tapping into this. Like, it's, interesting to see Will Hardy kind of talk about Lowry right now with this idea like, you know, we're not entirely sure. Like there's this, hey, we saw him play in Finland and we thought he could do some great stuff and then, and and like I give him credit like that and I'm sure that's who they want. He's seven feet tall. He's 25 years old. Like now we're into a different stratosphere of like, wait a sec. What else can he do? His season averages are silly. His recent stretch 50 40 90 and 30 is absurd and the way he's doing it and the different array of things he's doing and the different ways you can get in the ball and power and outside shooting I wouldn't even say finesse I think he's lost any finesse in this game at all just fine but he's got a deft touch from three that makes him pretty awesome so it's wild To see what Lowry's doing right now. That play sequence I wanted to highlight. All right, late game watch. For those who don't know, my experiment this year is I'm trying to watch about the last seven or nine minutes of every close game in the NBA. They've been limited recently. We just haven't had close games. Um, And so I got three in last night uh, that we'll talk about. Kings, Lakers, Denver, Minnesota, and Memphis, Cleveland. I watched them all after I got home last night. So late game watch is coming up as we continue on Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you in part by betonline.net. Betonline, odds, news, scores, all the rest for you. If you want to get into the weekend action, there's some big lines to play around with this weekend in the NFL games. As you've got the nine-point favorite Chiefs against Jacksonville, you've got the seven-and-a-half-point Eagles favorites against the Giants, both at home, and then the Buffaloes, of the good games on Sunday. Buffalo, five and a half point favorite now over Cincinnati and San Francisco, a three and a half point favorite over the Cowboys um, on that uh, NBA team wins regular season. Uh, they don't have the jazz on the board because we've passed our over under already. Yes, that's right. You can still bet a bunch of other teams over unders, but literally it is we have. Surpassed it. If you want to bet on the Jazz to make the playoffs, we're plus one hundred and fifty to make the playoffs, minus one hundred and eighty to not make the playoffs. So they still think we won't make, uh, likely to make the playoffs. The um, next player to score sixty in a single game has a fun little bet going. They have Luka Doncic at plus four hundred and fifty, Steph Curry at plus five hundred, and Bead at plus six hundred and fifty, Giannis at eight hundred, Jaw at plus eight hundred. That's all of our friends over at Bet Online dot net where the game starts thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen remember it's NBA game to game is your recap of the night's action you can get it every night at Locked On NBA it's one minute snippets from each of our hosts except for John Kraus so the Celtics and it's a two minute snippet um, and giving you a breakdown of what happened that night in the arena and then uh, collection of all the games it's kind of a fun show All right, three late-game watches last night. Lakers-Kings. Kings Kings didn't have Sabonis. Lakers are awful. Worse than I thought. And really, Russell Westbrook's awful. Like, really, really awful. He shot two air balls in the final five minutes of the game last night. Drove the lane three other times with no idea where he's going. I mean, he's really awful. I don't know how they're playing him. Maybe because the other guys they're playing are Max Christie, Wenyon Gabriel, and Patrick Beverly. It's incredible, that roster. Um, LeBron's not blameless here. He's not really able to beat guys one-on-one without power anymore. He left Kevin Herter for a wide-open three on a key possession then pointed another guy to get out. The Lakers are getting deep into the shot clock in every possession because they don't have anyone who can beat anybody one-on-one and they just kind of play isolation and then no one is actually able to beat anyone. The Kings without Sabonis really could have had a hard time figuring out what they were doing offensively. Um, They kind of went Barnes at the post- Actually uh, at the nail on an ISO on Patrick Beverly and he scored in an and one, um, which was probably, you know, one of the bigger plays of the game. So they're kind of answering because Fox and Herter couldn't get going and, and they were having a hard time. Uh, Fox just was having a normal night. Herter was taking some bad shots. A lot of bad shots in the end of this game. Kings should have kind of run away with this game. Kings are third in the West now, by the way. Right. Aren't I right on that? Kings are third in the West after the win last night. Yeah, Kings are tied with the Pelicans who've lost 7 of 10 because of their injuries with five straight wins and now third in the West. Um, 25 and 18. Kind of crazy. Like, you look at that roster, I don't think, like, it's funny. You look at us and I don't think the Kings are a dramatically better roster than ours. Like, Lowry's just as good as Sabonis and start piecing us together. Fox is pretty good, but, um, you know, they're they're playing well and winning a lot of games. We have this nice homestand. Let's see what we do with it. Uh, that game ended actually on a clear path, Val. Like one of the young Lakers made a clear path foul. Just so you know, you cannot have a transition take foul in the final two minutes, despite what people are saying. Denver versus Minnesota last night. So, no go bear in this game. And I actually playing Luka Garza against Jokic at one point. Um, Jokic just makes every play imaginable. Like, we think about him as passing. We think, just, like, he grabbed an offensive rebound over the back of Garza that was a key play in the game. It's interesting how the Nuggets are doing things. They have Aaron Gordon guarding the best defensive player. So he was guarding Anthony Edwards in this game. The Jokic-Murray pick and roll is getting better and better and better. It was really clunky early in the year because Jamal didn't look right. Jamal's looking better and better. I think he'll be even better after the All-Star break. And so, uh, they were getting Kyle Anderson caught into the switch every single time to try to take advantage of him. Um, it's interesting, Denver doubled. We talk about doubling versus not doubling. Du- uh, Denver threw a surprise double at Minnesota, at Anthony Edwards, and led it to a really, really good defensive rotation from Denver, but also a shot clock violation on Minnesota because they just didn't seem apt to, what they were to how to react to it and seem surprised. Frankly, Minnesota leads this game 120-118. Chris Finch has a weird, unsuccessful challenge and then leaves himself with no timeouts left. And then Minnesota doesn't score for the final 251. Without Finch like being able to call a timeout and run a play or anything else, they go from up 118-117 with 251 left to losing it 122-118. And don't score for the final 251 of that game. Finch used, that, used his final timeout early on an unsuccessful, and I didn't think a very well-advised challenge, uh, particularly with no timeouts left. I didn't think it was worth it. And people just don't know how to use the challenge. It's crazy. It's complicated. It's really, really complicated. And there's a lot, just to me, it seems like there's just a huge risk to end up losing that timeout um, on when you should challenge and when you shouldn't. It's pretty easy for my seat to critique. I don't have to make the decision. I can analyze it afterwards every time. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Minnesota's, you know, without Carl Anthony Towns, and then they're closing with Nas Reed because no Rudy Gobert, but, you know, an inability to actually make... Um, to make any plays in the final 251 of that game um, would seem problematic to them. All right, Memphis-Cleveland was really interesting. Um, Del- Dylan Brooks was guarding Darius Garland, and Isaac Kukuro is guarding John ja Morant, and then neither of them can shoot. So you got it. like, you got to slow down Garland, you got to slow down Morant, but neither Dylan Brooks or... Isaac Okoro can shoot. Isaac Okoro actually makes a three late, but he's a really bad shooter. Dylan Brooks is a really inefficient offensive player. And it was interesting, like you're sacrificing so much to have that non-shooter on the floor, but you have to try to stop these guys. Um, Memphis is running something interesting late in the game. They're not necessarily bringing Stephen Adams up to pick for John Morant because he's so fast and so good. He just beats his man. And then Adams sets a pick on his guy who he's guarding, who would be the help. Right, so Jaws at the top, Jaw beats his man because Jaws unguardable, and then Adams flips his pit wherever his man is. He flips his pick to whatever side Jaws going on, so his bit the big down low can't. And that pick's being set at like five six feet can't come and help. So Morant's amazing. I mean, Jaws great, but it's a really interesting play, and he and Adams have kind of figured it out, and it's um, it it's a neat little play it also means if you're going to double jaw, you've got it's going to be a little complicated how you bring it. Um, I was really surprised Memphis brought Steven Adams up on a high pick kind of surprising Cleveland with Adams defending uh, up at about 30 feet. Taylor Jenkins did the best job I've seen of changing up defenses late in game of any coach all year on a bunch of stuff. he, he had he surprised them on multiple times. Cleveland's close is horrendous. Cleveland inbounds under the basket with 27 seconds left in the game up one and can't get the ball inbounds. But more than that, nobody ever came to the ball. Like, if you go look at the play, it's not like they missed an open guy or somebody didn't get open. Like, I don't know what they were running. The ball, nobody ever got it. I don't... uh, Then Memphis gets... Takes the lead. And Cleveland doesn't call... Has two timeouts, I think. And doesn't call a timeout. Down one. Okay, that's debatable. But Darius Garland walks the ball up the floor as though he's playing a tie game looking for the final shot for the win. You're down one. You've got to get up the floor as fast as possible, try to score, have enough time for an offensive rebound. If you miss, foul and keep the game left. He walks it up. J.B. Biggerstep runs out, gets one four flat, brings Jared Allen up for a high pick. They kind of pseudo-double it, but... Even weirder is Darius Garland drives right into another guy. They have no floor spacing. He's now doubled. They flip. They never get a shot off. And they didn't use a timeout. And they didn't run a play. And they walked it up the floor. It was ugly. Late game is hard. Late game is super hard. So that was an interesting to watch. All right, that's our late game watch Uh there really have not been a lot of late game close games. I the only one I've missed recently is Toronto. New York played a close one. Um, Atlanta Dallas was not close last night, but I want to watch it because I want to see how Dallas is losing these games. The Lucas stuff's super interesting to me. I think there's, I think there's a little smoke to where that, or there's a little fire to where that smoke is. Uh, the night before, by the way, there just was not a close game. Uh, Milwaukee beat Toronto by eight. Clippers beat, lost to Philly by ten. Denver beat Portland by nine. Those games never got close, and then. The night before that, there was actually a bunch of blowouts on the 16th. The only one was Toronto-New York double overtime. I never got to, so I'll try to get to it um, before that. And then um, I did watch the end of Philly-LA before they played us, so I think I've caught up on everything else. Thank you very much for tuning in today to Lockdown Jazz. Ask LOJ tomorrow. Send in your questions on Twitter with the hashtag AskLOJ. Thanks very much. Have a great day.